0: Good morning, how are you? I was supposed to say, how am I? Well, thank you for asking. No, you did. <laughs> I'm good this morning. You ever feel like you have a morning where you're trying to catch up with yourself? I don't know what it is. I think next week, you know, it'll help us when we get an hour more of sunlight. Amen? Where you feel like you're uh, a little awake, a little bit earlier. So I'm still trying to catch up. Lots of new faces that I saw come in this morning. Praise God, hey, Give it up for the new folks that are here this morning. Those of us who have been here for a while, we're glad that the new folks are here because we're kind of sick of each other and, you know, we need some... (laughs) Just kidding. But uh, hey, we're so glad you're here, that you came to worship our great, big, wonderful, amazing God with us. Amen? Isn't he great? We've been talking about, if you're uh, first time this morning, we've been talking about the last several weeks... About a month ago, I sent out some questions to everyone and um, asked you, asked the people to get online and answer three questions. What is it that you worry about? What is it that you wonder about? And what do you wish was different? And for the last two weeks, we've talked about worry. And I suggested to you one way to reduce the worry in our lives, one way that we can reduce the worry in our lives is first take a look at those things that we can control, things that we put on ourselves that we don't need but we merely want. A lot of those wants that we put around us, the devil can use to pump up the worry in us because now we're responsible for those things, like fish ponds with algae (laughs) I suggested to you. And then for those things that we truly do need, we turned and we looked at Jesus' words. And I suggested to you, hey, for those things that you're worried about, like the Turners, and I know many others when it comes to those dogs barking at the bank accounts, for those things that we truly do need, Jesus gave us advice uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he said, hey, when it comes to those things, here's my advice to you. Here's what I'd love for you to do in response to that worry. Seek God's kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when you do that, when we seek him, the Bible tells us we'll find him. He's waiting for us to look. You usually don't have to look. Okay, I'm going to seek God. Whoa, there he is. When we seek him, we'll find him. And when we find him, the Bible promises that the God who takes care of even the birds, the God who takes care of his great, big, wonderful creation will also take care of you. He promises he will provide for our needs when we seek him. Last week we talked about wonder, that second question, and I suggested to you that while we're wondering about all the things there are to wonder about, don't let the devil push us to forget about wondering about God and about the things of God. And especially the most wonderful thing of God, the one whose name is wonderful, Jesus. For those of us who are older, at least, it's an exercise, I think, of rediscovering what Jesus meant when he said, we need to become again uh, like little children to enter into and experience the kingdom of heaven. Recapturing that childlike wonder. (gasps) Oh! of who Jesus is and what he did and what he still does and what he's going to do its truly a cause for wonder. I think we'll get a taste of that a little bit today too. And that brings us in this week to the last of those questions that we asked you. That question is, what do you wish was different? We defined wish last week as wanting or desiring or longing for or yearning. We wish means we want, we desire, we long for, we we, we yearn. And I think that the biblical word, at least, that comes closest to wish is another four-letter word, that four-letter word called hope. And in fact, Hope takes wish even farther, doesn't it? The dictionary defines hope as a desire for something with an expectation of obtaining it. And that sounds a lot like wish, only it's even better than wish because it's got that expectation of getting it part, doesn't it? And that's a good part. Hope expects it. Wish expects. Just desires it, but doesn't necessarily expect it. But hope does. Hope not only wants it, but expects it. And that that expectation part is the guts, the heart and soul of hope. One of my seminary professors gave us this two-word definition of hope. He said, hope is Expectant anticipation. I like that. Expectant anticipation. We not only expect something when we hope, we anticipate it. As we come to a, a season of Advent, a spirit of an anticipation that He's going to come and we expect that He will. And He did, and He does again at Christmas time and every day where we turn our expectant anticipation to Jesus. We wish it, we want it, we expect it and anticipate it. In a word, we hope. I think, as all of us in here might expect, we know that uh, the Bible talks a lot about hope, doesn't it? We, um, we can find the word hope in one of its forms in the Bible about 180 times. It's spread evenly between the two testaments. Hope is both old and New Testament word. There are um, some biblical scholars will place some weight or some significance on where a particular word first appears in the Bible, where that word first shows up. Theologians have a very highly technical term for this. It's called first use. Yeah, it's one of those technical terms that even I can understand. And some translations of the uh, the English Bible will mess this up because um, they'll use the word earlier when they're trying to translate, and it's really not the underlying word. I, I'll give you an example of this, and um, it's a bit of a tangent, but not really. Um, where would you guess? If you were studying uh, first use, where would you guess the Hebrew word, at least, for love first appears in the Bible? See, Most of us, our tradition, Protestant tradition, um, we don't make much use of first use. That's too bad. It's a great devotional study sometime. Take a look where, where words appear first. Where would you guess? What book? Okay, Genesis, good guess. It does. Genesis is, do you know the verse or the context? If you're at 8 o'clock, no fair. Yeah, sometimes these kids, no. Louis, where's Louis? Are you here, Louie? Oh, he was at 8. Okay. He's probably T-bowing somewhere. <laughs> the first time... The Hebrew word for love appears isn't, and it's sort of shocking that it takes this long. Maybe it's on purpose. The first time it appears isn't until Genesis 22. And the first time, ahav, the word for Hebrew shows up. I always remember ahav because I think of the wedding vow to have and to hold. Ahav is love first time it appears is in Genesis 22, and here's the context. God tells Abram, Abram, take your son, your one and only son, whom you love and offer him as a burnt offering. That story, Abram and Isaac has many meanings, but one of them certainly symbolic of God and his love for his one and only son. Pretty cool first use, yeah? Your English Bibles might mess this up, though, because uh, they want to smooth things over. So you'll find love in the NIV three or four times before then. And the context is Adam and Eve and other husbands and wives, the Bible says, made love. Hebrew has a different word for that. It, it, it's not a hav. And um, I could use your help with something. Um, especially from those of you who are married. And this will help other couples too, I'm sure. And as I found out in the 8 o'clock service, there are some singles that are really going to listen into this too because it's important. I want to talk to you about making love. See, so you want to get someone's attention in church? You know, say that. It's like, oh, Jill and I have kind of a a funny thing throughout our whole, you know, uh, twenty-two years of marriage, right? Yes, got it right. (laughs) And um, it's like, as a husband and wife, you know, what do you call that? What did you say, Missy? <laughs> Birthday? <laughs> 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 Missy's like, I can't believe I just said that out loud. <laughs> I'm sorry, Missy. She's in mourning because her Rangers, oh. My heart breaks for you, the most difficult loss ever. But anyway, and Jill and I, will we crack each other up, and we've just, it's just kind of been a running joke. It's like, you know, if, if you want to make love with your husband or your wife, we shouldn't be embarrassed about it. It's in the Bible, right? It's one of God's greatest blessings ever. It is. And part of that taboo that's associated with sex the devil's responsible for so we're not talking about it anymore and it degrades it and so we ought to be able to talk about that in church I think I know <laughs> so you know what, said. you know it just doesn't sound you know say hey honey you know do you want to make love <laughs> you know if, if i say that to sure I like It just kind of sounds, dog, so what do you say? Now, I really want your advice. Some of you have been married long. You know, what do you, you know, make love sound so official. And you can't use the underlying Hebrew thing, you know, do you want to lay with me? <laughs> <laughs> And then you can't go down the road of, you know, you, do you want to do it or do you want to make whoopee, you know. It's, uh, maybe you don't use words. Uh, a good friend of mine, you know him, I promise that I wouldn't tell you his name, LaRue Boyd. <laughs> he raised his hand in the eight o'clock service and he said, he raised his hand, It's said, LaRue. You know, elder of the church, some wise advice. He said what he does is he comes to his wife with a glass of water and a couple of aspirin. (laughs) (laughs) And what he's hoping to hear from Sue, his wife, is... Honey, I don't have a headache. Said, Aha. And then Sue piped up and said, No, no, Todd, you got it wrong. The the, the glass of water and the aspirin are for him. <laughs> Sorry, Larue. Where were we? <laughs> How about hope? Does anyone know or does anyone have a guess where the word hope first appears in the Bible? What's its first use? Does anybody have a guess? This one's tougher. What book? I looked it up. Okay, Glenda looked it up, so she's not gonna say. It's tough at first. When you hear it, you're gonna go, ah, yeah, that's uh, It doesn't show, and again, with this first use thing, I'm often just astounded how long it takes to show up. When I see something like that, I think, boy, that seems to be intended. He's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. I want love to be here in the context of a father and his one and only son being sacrificed. Love. Hope he waits even longer before God puts that in his word it's not in Genesis. I would have guessed Exodus. Like the hope of the people to get out of Egypt. Eh. He waits through all Torah. It's not in Torah. He waits, he waits, he waits. And where you first read the word hope is in the book of Ruth. Ruth. where when you get into that story, you realize there's trouble afoot in Jesus being born one day because that's his line. And the context is Naomi talking to her two daughters-in-law. Just leave me, she says, because I have no hope. I love that. It's one of my favorite first uses because really the balance of the book of Ruth, if not the whole Bible, is to show and to play off of that statement from Naomi just how wrong she was. How about this one? What book of the Bible might you guess uses the word hope the most? You can get this one. Yeah, I see. Old Testament. Psalms, yeah. God's prayer book, his song book, full of his people singing to God about hope. That makes sense. Um, how about, uh, let's see. How about this one? Um, second most times in the Bible. Oh, I should have looked at the screen. (laughs) Theologians call this second most use. No, not really. What would you guess second most of all the books in the Bible uses the word hope? You can get this one. I'll give you a hint, it'll give it away. But this guy needed hope. Job. Job. Yeah, 19 times in the book of Job. How about the New Testament? What book would you guess uses the word hope the most in the New Testament? No. Nope. It's a good guess. No. Nope. Pick a long one. Nope. You know, it's not even in Revelation. Maybe in that translation. I'd have to look again. Good point. I'm not sure. Not Acts. I think I heard it. Sorry, I got distracted. No? It's Romans. I heard it. Someone said Romans. 17 times in Romans. Romans. Romans largely considered the theology book of the New Testament, and I love that. I, I prefer to give the, the summary of Romans. Okay, theo- but it's living theology. It's theology in action. And, of course, theology in action would have to talk about hope Speaking of Romans in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives hope special status indeed when, when he puts together in several places one of his favorite trios, faith, hope, and love. Wow. Hope must be important and significant. Paul puts it in that trio in several places. There sits hope between those two giants of faith and love. Probably my favorite New Testament picture of hope, at least, comes from the anonymous author of Hebrews who tells us that hope is the anchor of our soul. I love that picture for hope. It anchors our soul, our will to live, if you will. Hope is the anchor of our soul What is it exactly that um, we hope for, do you think? What hope exactly anchors our soul, might you say? Lots of different ways to answer that question. How would you answer it? A little easier to do interactive church in the smaller 8 o'clock service, but let me try. How would you answer that question? What is it, what exactly is it that, that, that you hope for? Salvation. Yeah. Amen. Faith. faith. You hope for faith. Yes. Peace. You, you 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 back dwellers can participate too, but you have to yell out. What do you hope for? No struggles. Broncos. <laughs> <clears throat> Justice. Justice. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling? Healing. Healing. Amen. Eternal life, fulfillment. What was that? More sleep. See, it can go from the sublime or the... Lots of things that we hope for. <laughs> Norm is a good friend of Missy, and Norm said that he hopes for birthdays. Laughter. How about this question? Hey, we're on a roll, interactive church, isn't this fun? Um, how about this question? What gives you hope? Holy Spirit gives you hope. What else? Could be anything. What gives you hope? The Word. Your children give you hope. Praise God. Family, yeah. Lots of things give us hope too, don't they? You know, I, I know, Paul, you were kidding a bit, I think, when you said Tim Tebow. <laughs> but you know what? I, I was just reflecting even over the past several months with this whole Tebow phenomenon. I, 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 I think that something around Tebow, there's something of a hope that surrounds him for, for Bronco fans that sort of pushes, certainly for believers together with his faith and his integrity, but there's hope associated with Tebow, isn't there? There's one foundational hope, though, that I'd like uh, to leave you with this morning. And it's a hope that covers, it covers all the hopes we just talked about, what we hope about, what we hope for. And it's the one foundational hope that is emphasized in the Bible, throughout the Bible. It is the underlying Christian hope for Paul and for all of the biblical writers. It's talked about in both Testaments. It's the one that is consistent throughout all of Scripture, the one foundational hope that truly anchors a believer's soul. And it's the surest remedy I know of for worry, all those worries, wonderings, and wishings that we've been talking about. And and yes, certainly this hope includes Jesus. Okay, that's yet another question about the Bible where the right answer is Jesus, and you get a coffee token. (laughs) But can we be more specific? The Bible's more specific. It doesn't end with the hope of Jesus, but why? Why is it that we hope in Jesus? That's the hope I'm getting at. And that foundational hope of Christian faith and life in the Bible is this. The resurrection of the dead and the renewal of all creation. Whoa. That's that foundational hope. And that hope, God's hope is so amazing. Can we even picture a greater hope? It is at the same time intensely personal and intimate. each person no matter how great or small you will in Christ live forever you will live again and forever whoa what an expectant anticipation we have in that hope and even though it's intimately personal it's at the same time cosmically universal all of creation is being renewed including us I want to share with you a couple of thoughts on uh, on that amazing hope of believers in Christ then an application and, and then I'll have you on your way First thought, and this, um, this concerns that personal nature of hope, that we will live again and live forever. We often hear it said, and rightly so, that, that Jesus saves our soul, right? Jesus saves our soul. He saved my soul. I think one of the songs we sang this morning had that, my soul, saw it in on the screen. I thought, yeah. I wonder, have you ever thought about what your soul is What is this soul that's being saved? The Hebrew word is nephesh. Say (laughs) nephesh. What is nephesh? What is soul? I'll I'll share with you the best illustration I ever heard someone shared it with me. I've shared it with you before, but it's been some time. And everything I read tells me that uh, very soon after I say it, you will all forget everything I say. (laughs) Well, a, a sobering thought for preachers. Maybe when you were little kids, those of you who aren't still little kids, or when you were younger, because I know some teens play this game too, I think. Do you ever play the game where you go to the deep end of the pool, right, take a big breath, and go down and just lay on the bottom? Yeah, see, I Uh, Any of you older folks do that? You ever do that when you were a kid? Maybe not anymore, but yeah. (laughs) And you go down there, you lay on the bottom, and and, and the game is you stay down there for as long as you possibly can, right? Go down, I'm gonna stay down there as long as I can. You're just down there just like. (laughs) And then increasingly, something in you, your desire to live in my opinion, your soul starts to sing. <laughs> and it's increasingly alarmed. Go up. I want to live. I want to live. I want to, and you just like. And you wait to the last possible, like, nanosecond. And then you push off the bottom of the pool. And never in your life is 12 feet further and you're like and you've already let it all out so you just want to take that breath in and you think I'm not going to make it I'm not going to make it I'm not going to make it I'm going to die and then you break the surface of the water right and then you look at your friends, you, let's do it again. <laughs> that longing, that desire deeply implanted in the living in us, even as part of our image bearing of God, that longing to live, that's, your soul. <laughs> and yes, Jesus indeed saves that. Amen? Amen? He saves your life. Your life force. Your spirit, you can say, but be careful. Spirit sometimes carries with it. Well, spirit is over there. And the material, fleshly, uh, bodily part of me is over there. So you can say spirit, but recognize spirit needs a place. Saves our life. Jesus saves our soul. And so the hope, the intimate, personal hope that we have, the resurrection of the dead, We're not going to die. Well, we'll die, but we're going to live again. It'll be like passing through a doorway. Okay, I'm alive and now I'm died. Wow, this feels a whole lot like life. Because in Christ it is. That's our hope. And we can have expectant anticipation that we're going to live because Jesus saved it. But that's only half. (laughs) You got to be kidding. It's only half. It's only half. As great as that is, it's only half. What could possibly add to that? And God says, Let me tell you, I am also renewing all of creation. See, and sometimes in some of us, if you're like me, is that one doesn't hit us. Well, I don't know, about half. You know, 99% of it is me and living forever, and that, well, that creation thing is nice. I'll give that about 1%. Oh, let that breathe a little bit, though. There is, in my opinion, some, however will, well-intentioned, misguided teaching out there that God's great big beautiful creation that he lovingly brooded over and made that one day he's going to destroy it all and annihilate it. Based on verses in scripture that have some very picturesque talk about the elements melting etc which if you look in cultural context is just a way of saying it's being renewed like refiner's fire You're not destroying or annihilating anything. And that view that God is somehow going to destroy the creation he lovingly made in turn leads to bad theology in my opinion that we are going to a heaven one day that is far away and far removed so far you can't even see it from this whole earthly material stuff because that's where, it's over there, has nothing to do. And that in turn leads to a, a bad theology of the church and evangelism in my opinion that all we're about is, we're, we're about getting people into the lifeboat. Get them into the lifeboat because you know this whole earthly realm, you know, That sucker's going down to get everybody in the lifeboat. My friends, heaven, the kingdom of heaven, God's reign is even now coming down coming down here God loves his creation he's not going to destroy it you all know the verse for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son yes This present form of earth will become a distant memory one day, but not because it's being destroyed, but because it's being renewed. And we lose the sense of mission and what we're about in the world today when we make heaven detached and not a part of where one day it will be because our mission, my friends is to help and partner with God, even now bringing about that kingdom of heaven. We're part of the renewing process, which one day will be fully realized when Jesus comes again. Amen? See, we often make the intermediary state heaven. Say, what do I mean? The The intermediary state, that is a highly technical term. The intermediary state is that time between we physically die and when Jesus comes again and the kingdom of heaven is fully realized. We often make that intermediary state heaven, but it's not. It's the intermediary state. We have something in common with those who have died before us. Both the living and the dead are still waiting for heaven fully realized here now. I know. I want to tread carefully here, especially with kids and young children. Grandma and grandpa have died and gone to heaven. The intermediary state is a wonderful place. You're with God. You're pain-free. You're singing, singing, singing. You're joining in all that beautiful, wonderful, amazing stuff that's going on in the book of Revelation in the throne room of God. Amen. And it's great. But it's not yet all of it. Otherwise, why would those souls in Revelation still be pleading with God? Come on, come on, come on. Come on. They know there's a place yet. Recently, we lost Jill's dad, and I can picture... I can picture my dad, Jill's dad, in his quiet and gentle way, uh, joining in that chorus and and, and looking at God and saying, come on, come on, Father, go get him. Come on, I I could just see him. But the intermediary state is not heaven. The clock says I need to wind down. Let me offer this amazing application of our hope. This expectant anticipation that we have that we will live and live forever and that all of creation is being renewed for us to live in together with God and each other. Oh, man, it's hope. And it's a very real and practical and meaningful hope to a world who doesn't yet know God. You don't have to go to the world and say, you're all going to be destroyed. This, whole, this thing's going down unless you get in a boat. No, 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 no. All of these problems that we're having in this world, whether political or social, and world hunger and war, and ah, all this stuff, you know what? God, God loves that creation so much, he's renewing it. He's renewing it, and you can be part of the renewal. And God comes to each one of us who knows him and says, I love you intimately. I love you. I brought my son. Uh, he, he died for you. And, and, and through his death uh, together, uh, we're going to make you into a, a new person, one whose relationships are, are, are going to be all perfect with everyone, one who doesn't wrestle anymore with a, the with a sinful nature and all that junk. And, and you're going to live forever, and you're not going to be sick, and you're not going to cry. And there's no more tears. There's no more pain. I want to do this for you, my son, my daughter, because I love you. Oh, Father, thank you. Okay. And then God says, and there's more. You saying, there's no way there could be. There's more. You're guess true. what, God says. And when God says, guess what, you should say, what? Yeah, Guess what? I'm also renewing all of creation. You're so we can play in it together like I first intended. You're and I want you to be part of that process. Would you join with me in that process in your marriages, in your families, in your workplace, in the home? Would you join with me in bringing about that kingdom that Jesus said is at hand and is so near. It's right here that we can taste it. It's here. Will you join with me and help me in that, even for that time that you're here? Say, yes. Yeah, I'd love to join. What should we do? Love. You want to join in the renewal process? Love. Love me with everything you got so I can be as close as possible with you because I am jealous for you as the Turner's song played. I want to be so closely with you. I want all of every part of you, not even a little bit going over. Come, Come with me. Let's get together in love with each other in intimacy. (laughs) Come on. You and me together. Let's go. All right, Here we are Father. I'm loving you with all you know and help me with the okay we're together. What What can we do? Oh let's go love people. Okay let's go love them. Let's go love others. And show them that I am love and that I offer the hope of life forever and all of this groaning creation whose beauty we even see peeking through. I'm going to wipe away the groan and it's going to be made perfect and we can all live together as a family forever and ever when heaven comes down. Why does Jesus ask us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Come where? Here. Thy will be done on earth. Here. John looks up and he sees Jerusalem descending down here. Oh, what a glorious we have in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we talk a lot about faith. And boy, we talk a lot about love and we just did. Help us Don't let the evil one take away from us that middle one that stands between those two pillars. Enable us, protect our spirit of hope. Build in us a a boldness, a confidence, and even a humility when treating others and loving them. Burn alive in us again that expectant anticipation that the dead will be resurrected and all those in Christ will be live forever and live again. And that you're working on paradise redone and you're going to make it as you first intended it to be when you first said, let there be light. Oh, Father, rekindle that hope in us. Allow it to Cast aside even the ugliest, most horrific worry and pains and disease and tears and brokenness. Let that hope truly anchor our soul. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction? It comes from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21. John is going on and on and on about this vision that he's had. And part of the vision is John looks and he writes, he who was seated on the throne said, and the he at this point is now Jesus He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write it down, John. You write this down because that word is trustworthy and true. And may that give us hope. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.